Amen. Hey, that's right. We are continuing our book of James study, How to Spot a Phony Christian. We've been seeing the last nine times that, believe it or not, as crazy as that sounds, that is not a foreign concept in the scripture, i.e. phony Christians. The Bible is very replete in the New Testament that we're going to have what? False teachers, false apostles, false prophets, and what? False brothers. What's that? That's a faker. The Bible tells us it's going to happen, okay? Uh, and the good news is God doesn't just tell us that it's going to happen. He tells us how to spot them so we could deal with them. The problem is we do not deal with them, okay? We're not holding the biblical standard, and this is my theory. This is why the church is so messed up today. We are in the apostasy because we don't just have fakers in the church. We have fakers who are now in the pulpit, worship teams, board members, and they're running the church. This is why things are so messed up. But hey, not Sunrise. We take our name serious. Sunrise Bible Church. Let's read the Bible and let's learn what God told us in advance, uh, how to spot these critters so that we can deal with them, okay, and not be infiltrated by people who would destroy us. James chapter 1 is our opening text once again. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Of course, James was written by James. James. Who needs that internship ministry? You guys are biblical scholars. That's right. Let's go ahead and stand as we uh, read God's holy word. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Let's take a look here. And uh, here's what he says. James a what? Servant. Again, is that your heart today? Because we're going to deal with this today. James, a servant of God and who? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. To who? The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Again, the context we already dealt with this was the early church at that time that was only at that time made up of Jewish, now born-again Christians. Right? It's talking to the church. To the church has finally been scattered to the nations. Greetings. Verse 2. First thing out of the gates, what's he say? Consider pure joy whenever life goes your way. <laughs> See, that's what we think, but that's not biblical. Right? Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever, not if, whenever you face trials of what? Many kinds. Well, why? That sounds crazy. Because you know, experientially, that the testing of your what? Faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must Finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. You may be seated if you can. And again, for the sake of what we've been doing, let's go ahead and now blow up where we've been uh, dealing with, specifically verses 2 and 3. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let's Greek out. Turn to somebody and say, hey, it's time to Greek out. All right, we're going to Greek out. Let's Greek out. Here's what it literally says with the verb tensings. Consider it a matter of unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow. What? Whenever you fall into the midst of what? Variegated trials which surround you. That's a bunch of them. Well, why? Because you are knowing experientially that the approving of your faith, that faith having been put to the test for the purposes of being approved and having met the test has been approved. Here's the payoff that this approving process, what? It produces a patience which bears up and does not lose heart or courage under trials. How many of you guys would like to have that quality in life? Uh, yeah, we'll turn to somebody one more time and say, hey, bring on the trials, right? Because that's the Greek expansion of the one English word, perseverance, right? That's what you get. God says one of the good things uh, when you're going through trials, okay? We've been seeing so far the book of James was the first book written in the New Testament. Now, it doesn't appear that way in the New Testament, but chronologically it is. And right out of the gates, James, the church is finally going out into the world, okay? And they need to be a positive witness for Jesus. And the first thing he does is he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes a book, okay, James, that is an acid test for true and fake believers, how do you know if you've got a faker in your midst? That's what it's all about. And you're like, well, why would he do that? Because Satan is evil, obviously. He's also a loser. He knows he's headed for the lake of fire, but he's so stinking evil, he's seen how many people he can trick with him to the lake of fire. 
And so he couldn't stop Jesus from going to the cross and rising from the grave to save us from hell. He couldn't stop the church from being born, and he can't take away your salvation. Amen. Praise God. Right? But he's so stinking evil, he's trying to flood the church with what? False teachers, false prophets, false apostles, and false brothers. We see this from the get-go after the birth of the church. Why? Because then when a lost person comes in contact okay, with the so-called church, if you're flooded with fakers, then the lost are going to get a what? A false Jesus, a false Christianity, and a false gospel, which means they're not saved, which means, guess what? They go to the lake of fire with Satan. You see what he's up to? So James counteracts that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he begins them an acid test, okay? And the first one is the acid test of trials. And it isn't just how do you do through trials. It specifically calls it out, do you have joy in the midst of your trials? Now, why was that an acid test for true and fake Christians? Well, the lost go through trials, but typically they don't have that joy, right? You and I can, and the reason why is because, number one, Jesus endured the what? The cross for the joy set before him. And the Bible is very clear. If you're a true born-again Christian, at the moment of salvation, what happens? Bang, you're instantly indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God who then begins to produce his fruit through you. And the second one's what? The first one's love. What's the second one? Joy. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God that you have if you're really a Christian. So that means the ability to have joy in the midst of trials really is possible if you're saved. You see the acid test? And so that's the question. If you don't have joy in your midst of your trials, okay, you only got two options. You're either just a baby Christian or a backsliding Christian. You need to either grow up or get back on track. Or the reason why you don't have the joy of the Lord is because you don't have the spirit of the Lord. And Paul says, Romans 8, if you ain't got the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. But this is the acid test that he gives us here, okay? And then James, again, he tells us that there's good reasons why God does this. And you're going to go through many trials whenever you face trials of many kinds, poiki loss, various sizes, various colors, and all that stuff. And, and, and we've been seeing like, man, that's such a foreign concept today because you've got these false teachers who are now behind the pulpit saying the exact opposite. That you come to Jesus, you're not going to have trials. In fact, if you've got trials, it's because of some secret sin or you don't have enough faith or you need to sow seed to my ministry and you can wear snappy jackets like Pastor Billy and drive Cadillacs. And all that. Right? That's not scriptural. And it's, it's, so it's a hard concept for people I'm not saying you're not saved, but they sit under these false teachers or false teachings thinking that somehow when you get uh, uh, saved, that life's going to be perfect. That's not true. Rather, God tells us something. You're going to have trials, but here's the good news. You can still have joy in the midst of it, okay, if you're a born-again Christian, right? And so we've been taking a look at some of the many good reasons why God will do this on purpose, right? And James mentions the first one, perseverance, okay? As we saw before, you can be a complete mature Christian, not lacking anything, but that's the tip of the iceberg. Many trials from many different angles, many different directions also means many different good reasons why God's allowing it. And that's what we've been doing, okay? And we're going to do it one more week. Okay, so far we've seen it's to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to others, to teach us that God is God, that we are not, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives, to then also on top of that, to make us more humble, to make us more joyful, to make us more loving, to produce a powerful testimony, to produce a powerful character, to get you steered into a new direction, to get you to appreciate fellowship, to get you to build your faith. And last time for you here is to get you to return to him, okay, to get you to witness to him and to teach you the power of praise. But I'm still preaching, so guess what? There's got to be more. more. That's right, that mysterious voice on the front. You are correct. Uh, One more time. We're going to deal with this this week, and Lord willing, Lord willing, the rapture doesn't have a new verse next time. I'm excited. Praise God. That's right. Okay. But hey, the 18th wise reason, why does God allow trials in life? Why should we have pure joy? Why should we be excited? It's to purify your service. 
right? Are you serving? That's what we pay the staff to do. No, 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 that's those people who have the, me, I'm just a little busy. To purify your service. Service is a privilege, but something that every Christian should do. Unfortunately, we don't. But let's remind ourselves, why does God give gifts to the church? Why does he want us to serve? Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were, past tense, pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's different kinds of service but the same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them and all men. And now to each one, born again Christian, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? For the common good, right? Not for the squirrels out in nature, not for you to stare at home at the wall by all yourself because you're so spiritual, you don't need the church. Excuse me. God gives you gifts, what? For the common good, for the church. And if you're not here, then how can anybody benefit from the gift that God gave you to bless the church and vice versa in your time of need? You, You get it? But it's for the common good, right? Now, he breaks it down. To one, there's given through the spirit of uh, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, uh, faith by the same spirit. Uh, to another, gifts of healing uh, by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, glossalia, literally languages, always known languages, as seen when that first happened in Acts chapter 2, not gibberish, and to still another, the interpretation of those tongues or languages. Here's the point. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And who, what? He, God gives them to each one as who? Just as he determines. Wait a second. So you mean I don't take a class and then somebody tells me to do this thing and go to the secret formula and then I get that gift that I've been wanting and praying and fasting for? Yeah, that doesn't, no. You mean to tell me that I don't get the special gift that I want because it's the way I want, it's the one I want because those guys got it, I want it too, and I'm, I'm going to pray and fast and go to this conference and the fasting conference with meals included, and soon enough, after six days, I'm going to persevere, and I'm going to get that. No! God's the one who gives them as he determines. You can sit there and jump up and down and hoot and holler. Listen, he's the one who gives them, not you. That's a false teaching saying that you can somehow twist the arm of God. And by the way, it's done when you get saved. At the moment of salvation, you're enveloped the Holy Spirit. You get your gift at the same time, too, whatever it is. That's what the Bible says. But here's the new. This, to me, is just amazing. I'll never forget it. I've shared before, when I first got saved, man, nine weeks after saved was the first time I actually got to serve God doing something, man. And it was, it was just like, wow, this is cool. It just keeps getting better, the salvation thing. It's a, now God could use me, even after all that I used to do before getting saved, and he could use me to do something for him, and he wants me to do to make a difference for all eternity and the lives of other people. Woo, this is exciting. And that's really what this passage is. It's good news, okay? When, listen, when God saves us, did you know he doesn't save us to sit around on our blessed assurance just because we got our fire insurance, and then we do nothing until we get to heaven? Yay! I hope you don't think that. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people do. But this is awesome. God gives each born-again Christian, listen, gifts at the moment of salvation, different gifts, different people, different needs, and because they're all different, you put them all together, and everybody, if everybody does it, the church stays healthy, the church stays strong, the church stays effective, you can do great things for Christ. Isn't that what a concept? That's what he says. 
One Christian gets one gift, another Christian gets another, so on and so forth. And we're all serving Christ with the, with the gifts that he's given us to other people. And, and great things happen. The church is strong. It's awesome. And it's still not all. The Bible also says on top of that, on top of that, he also gives us the privilege of not just serving him with the gifts that he gives us in service to other people. But listen, we even have the ability to lay crowns at his feet one day out of thanks for all he's done for us. You know, we sang the song, give thanks. Well, there's other ways to give thanks. It's called lay a crown at his feet, right? Now, the Bible talks about five different crowns you could earn as a Christian. We're not saved by our behavior, but after you do get saved, in spite of your behavior, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege to say thank you with our time. And you can earn a crown. First crown is the incorruptible crown, the victor's crown, the Bible talks about. The second one is the crown of life or the martyr's crown. The third crown is the crown of glory, the shepherd or the elder's crown. Watch this, the fourth crown, the crown of righteousness, the longing for Jesus. All you got to do is long for Jesus. I mean, that's an easy one, you would think. How many Christians really don't long for Jesus? They're longing for all the wrong stuff. We'll get to that in a second. And then, hey, well, okay, at least this one, right? The fifth crown, the crown of rejoicing. That's the soul winner's crown. Because as Christians, we all know, man, you're so excited when you get saved, you just can't help but tell somebody else about Jesus so they can get saved too. Maybe when you first got saved. 95% of those who profess to be Christians right now, 95% have never once led one soul to Christ. You would think that's an easy crown to get too. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we actually not only listen, we not only have the privilege of serving God, doing things by the power of the Spirit, specifically with the gifts that he gives us at salvation, right, in service to other people, that makes an eternal difference with these lives that were all messed up and sinful in the past, which is totally cool. And then he says, on top of that, I'm going to give you the ability to earn a crown, okay? And then so when we get to heaven, it's that, that's that Christian competition thing, right? We stand up there and sing that song. My crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, my crown's bigger than yours. Hey, you got three, I got five, you're a loser. No. Revelation 4 says what? We lay them at the feet of Christ. He gets the glory not only for the service. Listen, if anything comes from this life that is glorifying to God, that is the Spirit of God, He gets the glory. If anything comes from this life, and I'm talking about myself, and it does not glorify God. That's me. That's my sin. And it's the same thing with you. So he gets the glory in service to him, but he also gets the glory for the crown because he gave me the ability to earn that crown in the first place. It's just a privilege to get there with the crown. And don't you want to get there with the crown? What's the, what's the alternative? 1 Corinthians 3 right, says that what? That each day your, your work is going to be tried by fire. Not, not salvation. This is what you do with your time after you get saved. Your work is going to be tried by fire. Some of it's going to be wood, hay, straw, and burned up. Some of it's going to stand. The gold, the silver, right? Precious gems, things of that nature. But he says there, oh yeah, you don't get there by your works, right? He says there, the ones your works are burned up, right? He says he will get there, but only as he who escapes the flames. And so as I said before, what's that? That's the picture of getting to heaven, and we only get to heaven through the work of Jesus Christ. But your way of saying, thanks, God, thanks for saving me from hell, is you go, here's some smoke. I don't know about you, but I want to get there with something besides smoke. Not because I have to. Because I love him. And I don't want to just give thanks with my mouth. I want to give thanks with this life. Here I am, God, use me in spite of me. Do something in service to the church. 
earn crowns that I have the privilege to lay at your feet one day in heaven. And I'll still give you glory for that. Don't you want to finish that way? And of course we say that as Christians. That's the right answer. <laughs> I'm a Christian. Christians serve. Right, we're supposed to serve. That's what we do, okay? But here's the problem. We think that serving is optional. Or we just don't do it. Or even worse, when we finally get around to serving, we quit. Because that person made fun of me. That person criticized me. That person didn't give me the kudos that I think. I've been serving here for 500 years and nobody once told me thank you. I quit. Then you weren't doing it for Jesus, were you? You see, God will allow hard times to cleanse our motive. We should be serving, but who are you really serving? Is it just attention to you or is it in service to him? And guess what? If it's all about you, it won't last. And I'm not condoning when people nitpicky to death. I've learned that, frankly, a lot of things that people, when you serve Christ, that's just a bunch of baloney. I'll put it up there as high as 95 to 98% of so-called criticism. It's just personal pet peeves, right? Personal preferences. Or, especially when you're teaching the Word of God, oh, you're stepping on their toes. And it ain't me. That's God's Word. But instead of submitting to the Word and being blessed, you take it out on the messenger. That's what I learned. But I mean, some of the stuff is just goofy. I've shared with the first service, probably one of the most obtuse ones that I've had throughout the years, and we could be here with the stories, but I've got to move on, was a guy from England, and he, he wrote this big old long email, man, and he was dead serious. At first I thought, oh, come on, he's joking. I'm waiting for the punchline. No punchline. He said, Pastor Bill, I just, I, I've loved past tense your studies. I've been watching for quite some time now, but I'm not going to watch you anymore. I, just, I, I can't take it anymore. And you know what it was? It wasn't the Velveeta corny jokes. I know that's what you're thinking. It was this. My ties were too long. I know. That's horrible. I can't take it. My tie. And granted, they are. If you ever come to my house, I'm just very pragmatic. Not one of my ties are basically undone. I got a ton of ties. I I asked my wife. I just tie them once. And then I only loosen it enough to get it off my head so I don't have to tie it again. And I don't even tie them right. I don't even want the time to tie them right. I only do the little single thing. They're always a little, little crooked. I know you're supposed to do the double Windsor. I'm just doing the single Chucky or whatever you call it. I don't got time for that, right? So I don't care, right? It's okay. And granted, half of them sometimes are up here, sometimes down there. Most of them are down there, whatever. But it's like, but really, you're going to quit just because my tie is too long. You know what? I can't help you. I can't help you. Another one, seriously, I've had at least, probably at least six times over, over since I've been here in, in Vegas, and even back when I was pastor in New York, that was the first time it happened. I've actually had people accuse me of working for the Illuminati. <laughs> what? Yeah, you know what it is? It's the same thing. We watched this one video. Well, yeah, there's 11 years worth of material out there. We watched this one video, and then if you stop it at 25 minutes and 14 seconds, your hands are making the secret Illuminati sign. Really? First of all, I'm a kind of an animated speaker in that kind of your hands move, right? But really? First of all, who's got that time? I'd love to have that time sit there and frame by frame until something pops up. Number one. Number two, I preach against that stuff all the time. Why do you say it's nuts? But that's it. I quit because they call my jacket Velveeta cheese. I'm, just, I'm not doing this anymore. You made fun of my ties. You didn't tell me thanks. You accused me of working for the Illuminati, and I quit. 
See, that's what we do. We either think it's optional serving, or we don't do it, or when we do do it, we allow somebody else's behavior. Listen, dictate your walker service to Jesus Christ. And sometimes God will allow trial and, dare I say, troubling people, which I do not condone their behavior. But he'll allow them to cleanse your motive. Why are you doing this? And if you're not doing it for him, you won't last. But if you're doing it to him, I don't care what you say. I don't care how much you make fun of me. I'll be a fool for Christ. God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things to shame the strong. I'm just a weak fool for Jesus. But you know what? What's mind-blowing is he gives me the privilege and the ability by the power of his spirit to store up treasure in heaven and lay a crown at his feet. And I don't care what you do, what you say. You're not going to dictate my walk or service to Jesus Christ because this is the only time that I have the privilege to store up treasure in heaven. This is the only time that I have the privilege to earn a crown. You don't do it in heaven. It's only here. So if the enemy can't take away your salvation, he'll take away your time. Listen, out of what we just sung, give thanks with a grateful heart. Is it just lip service or is it life service? Don't you want to get there with something to say thank you? Then don't let people trick you into not serving Christ. You're going to go, well, how how do I know? How do I know if that's me? How do I know if that's, you know, uh, I'm being tricked and duped into to allowing people to get me to... Well, it, you just take and speak of acid tests. First of all, I hope you're serving. I, I, and again, I'll never forget, I had a, we had a guest speaker at the other facility. I loved it. I'm going, ooh, preach it, bro. He, he got on the topic of serving, and he says, you know what? I should look at every single one of you, and I should take the time, if I had the time, I, could, I should be able to point to every single one of you individually, go around the whole sanctuary, and I go... What is your area of service right now to Jesus Christ? And if you can't answer, something's wrong. What are you doing? Something's wrong. After all he's done? And you're still not doing anything? What? But you need to take an answer to this. What are you, do, what are you doing? For? If you even are serving Christ, which all Christians serve Christ, is it a job? Or is it a ministry? If it's a ministry, nobody can get you off track, right? And here's what we see. If you do it because no one else will, it's a job. If you're doing it to serve the Lord, it's a ministry. If you do it just enough to get by, it's a job. If you do it to the best of your ability, it's a ministry. If you quit because someone criticized you, well, it was a job. If you keep serving, it's a ministry. If you quit because no one praised you, it was a job. If you do it because you think it needs to be done, it's a ministry, if your concern is just success, well, that's a job. But if your concern is faithfulness to God, it's a ministry. It's hard to get excited about a job, but man, it's impossible not to get excited about a ministry. Average churches are filled with many people doing different jobs. But you know what? Great churches are filled with people who are involved in what? Ministry. And here's the bottom line. People may say, well done when you do your job. But Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful. What? Servant. When you what? Bail. When you never get around to it? No. When you complete your ministry. You know the thing that he saved you to do? Do you understand that? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We quote that, but for some goofball reason, we stop at 10. We don't, we don't keep reading at 10. 8 and 9, of course, says we are saved what? By grace, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, right? We got that memorized. What's 10 say? Why did he save us? To do the good works he prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that amazing? Every Christian Every Christian, God wants to use you by His Spirit. He's given you gifts. He's given you opportunity to do something that will stand for all eternity. Isn't that awesome? 
But if it's just a job, you won't last. The first time that person calls your jacket Velveeta cheese, you'll run out of here whimpering like, sorry, bro, I'm working with it. That's fresh bread. That was just just this morning, man. We'll lay hands on you later in a profound Christian way. But seriously, what? You only get to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when you serve. Not if, not maybe. Or I did, but somebody made fun of me and I quit. But then the ultimate one, and that's for those that are serving and Satan gets you off track to get you to stop serving. Did you know I've heard legends from long ago and far away that there was this story of olden times when people who claimed to be Christians and they never served Jesus. Because... I don't have time to serve God. Have you heard that? I'm sure it's nobody here. No, it's those weird people down south again. Let's pray for those folks. Really? Yeah, ain't got time to serve God. Because we all know God is deaf and blind. You got him fooled. Or you said nobody never. Or maybe you say that, but you don't realize that's not true. He's not deaf and he's not blind. He knows exactly what you do with your time. And myself. It isn't that we don't have time. We just don't use our time to serve God. You know what we're doing? We're running after this wicked world system. That's what we're spending our time with. We're so busy running that crazy rat race that we actually come up with that lame excuse, and that's all it is, an excuse. I ain't got time to serve God. Really? No, it's see what time you got, you have chosen not to use it to serve God. Instead, yourself of this wicked world system, but we're all so busy running ragged and this and that and everything else but God that we've now turned into a society where we tap our fingers waiting for the microwave to zap our instant coffee. Hurry, hurry, tap, 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 tap. And then you wonder why things begin to fall apart. Your life, your walk with Christ, and there's something always missing, and you just, because you're just too busy. Busy. Remember the acronym? Busy. Being. Under Satan's yoke. He's got you. Busy. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Being under Satan's yoke, that's what he wants. Because listen, you will never store up treasure in heaven and you won't lay a crown at his feet. You'll get through a smoke coming off your back end. You see the trap? In fact, what little time we have left, God still gets his short in the stick. It's my time. I can't say that. That doesn't sound spiritual. Uh, hobbies. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I did the research. Here's the top hobbies, top 10 hobbies of men and women. Let's take a look at that. If what little time we have run the rat race, here's what we got left to do. Uh, for guys, it's fishing, grilling, working out, coaching, billiards, playing pool, uh, collecting, target shooting, rocketry, home brewing, and fantasy sports. Yep. Got God fooled. He has no idea what we're doing. Ladies, uh, here's what you do with your time, typically. Top 10, writing, reading, walking the dog, watching movies, arts and crafts, uh, cooking, running, wine tasting. Remember that from last week, the fat cows? Bring us some wine. Right? Uh, wine tasting, gardening, and shopping. Now, here's the point. Granted, most of those things, in moderation, isn't necessarily sinful, but if what little time you have left, that's all you do, and you still know to get around to serving God, something's wrong. And can I be blunt with you? You are making a dumb decision. 
with the time you have left. I get it. You got to work, right? Comes in handy, especially if you want to eat once in a while, right? I, I get all that. But listen, it doesn't take your whole life. There's plenty of time to serve God. But if you still, what little time you have left, and he says, no, I'm not going to serve God, it's me. Then you know what? You're, 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 with all due respect, you're making about as dumb a decision as these people. Watch this. This is crazy. It's your lucky day today. You win a free 10-ounce silver bar, pure silver bullion, or a free Hershey's king-size chocolate bar. Take this one. You'll take the chocolate yeah. bar. Who needs a 10-ounce bar of silver? No. Have a good day. It's your choice. A free 10-ounce bar of silver bullion or a free king-size Hershey bar? I think I'll take the Hershey bar. Go ahead. Stick it's it. your lucky day. Just right. fresh out of the refrigerator. Thank you. Thank you very much. Who needs a 10-ounce bar of silver when you can have a good, delicious bar of chocolate, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, thank you. Thank you. Which one do you want? Probably the chocolate because I'm a girl and Go. it's been a cranky day. Okay, it's yours. Eat it quick because it's getting hot out here. No, You'd rather have the Hershey bar than the silver bar? Yes, I would. Oh, you would. Yeah, okay. The Hershey bar, you can eat, eat the silver bar. Yeah, that's right. You can't eat the silver bar. What are you going to do with a 10 ounce <laughs> bar of silver, right? <laughs> you know? That's not even staged. That really happened. You, I, I did the research, especially with the prices going up through the roof, inflation. Listen, here, here's what it is a 10 ounce silver bar is worth over $300. A chocolate bar, $1. Oh. Really? Who does that? What's the classic phrase? Uh, did your cheese done slide off your cracker? Did the peas done roll out in your casserole? Did you forget to pay your brain bill? Are you a few fries short of a Happy Meal? Is your wheel a spinning but your hamster's done dead? What's that? You can't pour water out of a boot with the instructions on the heel? <sighs> Why? Who in the world would choose? It's not even close odds. 300 to 1. I want the chocolate. I want the chocolate. Over 300 some dollars. You know where I'm going. There is nothing more valuable, Christian. We're not saved by our works. I'll say it again. But there's nothing more valuable than serving Jesus Christ with the gifts that he's given us to store up treasure in heaven and to lay a crown at his feet one day. But nope, I want the chocolate. Give me the chocolate. I've had a cranky day. Give me the chocolate. Oh, it's worse than chocolate. Paul tells us really what we're choosing over God when all it is is about the things of this world. Watch this. Oh, one of my favorite Greek words. Philippians chapter 3, 7, 3. But whatever Paul says was to my prophet, I now consider what? Loss for sake of Christ. What is more, I consider how much? Everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've what? Lost all things. In fact, I consider them what? Rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now that's been cleaned up. Rubbish. Oh yeah, rubbish. 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 No, it's actually the Greek word skubalon. Turn to somebody and say skubalon. Isn't that cool? I love that word. But you know what scuba long means? It doesn't mean trash. It doesn't mean rubbish. It means dog dung in the Greek, scuba long. It means animal excrement. And so what is Paul saying? It isn't just chocolate. I want the chocolate. 
You are saying, as a born-again Christian, when you don't spend your time with God and the things of God and service to Him, except you basically, it's everything about the world that love the things of the world, you serve this wicked world system, that He is saying, listen, in essence, you're choosing a pile of dog dung over God. You're choosing a pile of animal excrement over Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? We have a relationship with God. What if you did that in your relationship with your spouse? Honey, I'm home. I want to spend some time with you. Oh, and you hear this voice from the backyard. Hey, maybe later. Maybe next week. I ain't got time right now. I'm over here relishing my pile of dog dung. Hey, this animal excrement, it's so awesome when I'm done with this pile of doo-doo. I'll come and spend time with you, you. And you... Really? Give thanks with a grateful heart. And here's my pile of dumb. And I'm not going to serve you. Who cares if I get there? At least I get there with the pile of smoke. Really? Tell me that's not spiritual warfare. He can't take away your salvation, but he'll dupe you into taking away your time that you could store up treasure in heaven. You don't do it in heaven. Earn a crown down here to lay in heaven, which only happens here, not in heaven. And you're going to play with dog dung? So God allows a few trials to come our way to cleanse our motive so that no matter what people do, you are not going to dictate my walk or service to Jesus Christ. I don't care how much you make fun of me. Nobody's going to keep me from laying treasure at the feet of Christ. And you know what? I don't condone your behavior. God will take care of you. Or from getting distracted and getting us to drop that pile of dung because nothing's more important than serving Jesus. Amen. And if it takes trials to get that lesson through our head, praise God for that. Amen. Right? Hey, but we've got another one to go. Hey, sometimes, as you can see where it's headed, you know what? Sometimes you just need a good old spanky winky. You ever get out of line as a Christian? You just get off track, man. Aren't you glad that God never intervenes? Well, if you're a real Christian, he's going to spank you back on track. You ever been spanked by God? Boy, does he ever know how to give out the spankings? Oh, he's a good heavenly father, and that's what the text is going to say. We'll see in a second. My dad, I'll tell you what, my dad, was a, he was a genius. I don't know if he took a class in college on it, but, man, he had this down. Dad, dad, dad put the, we weren't even Christians. He put the fear of God in us, right? I mean, I mean he, you, he wasn't even there yet. You knew you were getting wrong, and it was coming. The hammer's coming down. Here comes the discipline, right? And uh, all he had to do was, the first step was that dad look. You ever get the dad look? And, right? He's just, uh, right? That's what started, right? He, right? And then, he's not even in the same room, but then you hear the noise. That was just stage one. He was a genius. And the other one, you hear this, whoosh, whoosh. the belt was coming off. And just the sound of that. And then he's still, he's on his way. He's still away. He's from you, right? And then he started, he psychologically, he gets you. He starts snapping that thing. Ah! Right? And then even when he grabs you, right, you still try to get away. And talk about a lesson of utility. You ever do that one-arm dance? And dad did it because he hated us. No, because I deserve to be disciplined. I'm not about child abuse. Of course not. People go over the line. But there is a biblical way to discipline. And we've lost sight of that. And the Bible says, listen, it's normal that if our parents love us, when we get out of line, they're going to discipline us for our own good. And that's what Hebrews says. Did you know what? Sometimes God will do that for us spiritually. And he says, how much more so should we respond to God's discipline? He's way better and more knowledgeable than our, than our Heavenly Fathers. And that's what he says. Sometimes God will send a trial, listen, a hardship as a form of a spanking. 
I didn't say he did right here. Hebrews 12, 4 through 10. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as what? Sons, right? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he what? Rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those whom he hates. And he's just trying to see you, well, you know, how to pop. And that's kind of, no, those whom he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure what? Hardship. As what? Discipline. How many hardships have we gone through and we've actually blamed it on other people or the devil, but it was really God giving us a spanking? Because he loves us enough, we're getting off track and he spanks us back on. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everybody goes undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his what? His holiness. His paths of righteousness, his holiness is the way to go. I said it before, I'll say it again. Name one command in scripture that's bad for us. Not just the yeses are for good, even the noes are for our good. When God says yes, that's fantastic. And when he says no, it's just as fantastic. Why? Because the noes are there for our protection. It's all good. When you walk in God's holiness in his pathways, that's awesome. But when you stray from that, go out of bounds. Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. It's the wide road that leads to destruction. And sometimes God will have to spank us through challenging circumstances to get us back on track. When some of the, honest, let's be honest. When some of the best, most heartfelt prayers you've ever prayed in your life, when things were going awesome, it's when you hit that hardship. But if you ever ask yourself, why am I going through this hardship? How's my walk with Jesus Christ? Where am I at? Maybe this is God's way of saying, hey, Get back on track. You, you may not be experiencing it completely now, but you're heading into a trajectory that's going to lead to destruction. But I love you enough as my child to get you back on track. Aren't you glad that God cares enough to intervene? And that's why he gives the analogy. If you have a true loving parent, they'll do the same thing because it's going to happen. How many guys, when you had kids, excuse me, when your wife had kids, right? <laughs> I'm still emotionally scarred by that event. I've never heard a woman scream like that in my life, right? But praise God, something good popped out. But anyway, so I got, we got two kids. That's great. But how many guys, I don't, maybe you guys did. I, I, maybe we just went to the wrong hospital. But uh, we, we, you, your kids popped out perfect. They never did anything wrong. How many realize that kids also are born with the sin nature, right? Proof in the pudding. I don't know about you, but I had to teach my kids this word called share. Right? Have you taught? Right? It isn't just you need to share your toys. It's what? As you're trying to teach them to share, what do they do with that toy? They're beating their sibling over the head with it, right? I didn't teach them that. Where'd that come from? Like I said, we went to the wrong hospital, right? With ours. So, but anyway. But listen, they're going to get, and, and so as a loving parent, what do you do? You see that if they keep living like that, they're going into a trajectory that's going to lead up to a not a good life. So you love them and care enough as a parent to intervene and you spank them with love and to get him back on track. I mean, I'll never forget, we, uh, we had, uh, for a period of time, my, first, my wife and I first got married before we had children, uh, we had some of our uh, family members, niece and nephew, had come to stay with us. 
And, uh, and you know, of course, after a while, we, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. You got they got out of line, so you had to discipline. And I'll never forget, I kid you not, I'll never forget that first time that I had to uh, discipline my nephew and niece. And I felt like a goober, man, because I, I, literally, I was bawling on the couch. Because I loved him. I said, I don't want to do this, man. But I had to. I knew because, you know. But to be honest with you, about after the third or fourth or fifth time, I wasn't bawling anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But discipline is not bad. It's good. We live in a society that says all discipline is bad. How many of you guys went to school? I didn't grow up in the 20s. This makes me sound old. Older than my Velveeta jacket, bro. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm not bitter about it. (laughs) But you went to a school that uh, when you got out of line, they laid hands on you. With that Nephilim six foot long with holes in it, apparently to make it look freakier or more aerodynamic. I don't know, paddle. You know what I'm talking about? And that was either the vice principal or the principal, right? Had that. And apparently had a close relationship with the shop teacher because he's always making these babies. <laughs> but see, we live in a world today, what? Don't you dare touch a kid. Don't you dare touch him in school. And then you wonder why schools are now with guns and knives and teachers being beat up and whatever. Now, again, there's a healthy way to discipline. There's an unhealthy way, and I'm not condoning the unhealthy way. But there is a healthy way. But we live in a society, and now it's crept in the church, that you shouldn't discipline ever. That's not biblical. The scripture says, as a parent, you hate your kids if you don't discipline. Because they will hit them wrong ground. Now, they still got to make their own adult decision, but you got to train them up while they're in your household the way they should go. That's what the Bible says. And again, this discipline thing, it's, it's not a foreign concept. God does it all over the place, Old and New Testament, by the way. Let's take a look at a couple quick examples. For instance, Israel whined and complained about God's provision, so God sent him a plague, Numbers chapter 11. Miriam and Aaron complained about the leadership. Miriam came down with leprosy, Numbers chapter 12. Korah caused a rebellion to usurp the leadership. They all died, Numbers 16. Achan compromised with sin, and he died, Joshua 7. When King Saul gave half obedience, did you know half obedience is still disobedience? Hello. He lost his kingship over that, 1 Samuel 15. David, as good as he was, he was a man after God's own heart, but he made some mistakes. Uh, when he committed murder, he lost his own son, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, that's just the Old Testament. Not the, read the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to God, and they died. Right? Acts chapter 5. Oh, when Christians in Corinth were what? Taking communion in an unworthy manner, causing divisions in the church, being selfish and self-centered. Some got sick, other ones died. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Whew. Good thing that that was only those people back then making that mistake. I mean, I mean, we don't complain about God's provision and wine and all that stuff. And we don't complain about God's leadership and the direction. We don't rebel. We don't give God half obedience or commit adultery visually with the eyes or murder people with their mouth or lie or cause division or flipping about the things of God. Yeah. And so you know what God will do? Because he loves you, if you're really a born-again Christian. Now think about that. Remember what he said there? As sons, if you're sons. He says, if you never get disciplined, you're illegitimate. What's that mean? You're not his child. Well, I've been saved Christian. Everything's always been going great. Really? You've never been spanked by God? Really? You're either lying or you ain't saved. Because have you learned that you start out as babies, you grow up to maturity, and along the process, you make messes, you don't always get it right, myself included. So what's God do? He loves you. You're his child. Get you back on track because you're heading down a bad road, just like any faithful parent. 
And if you don't ever have spankings from God, you're lying or you're not saved. It's going to happen. Okay? Let me give you another one. Sometimes, maybe we're not the ones doing the sinning. Maybe it's other people sinning against us. But we react in a way that is sinful. Have you learned the phrase, two wrongs don't make a right? Right? I always say, hey, if somebody's going to get a spanking, let it be you, not me. <laughs> you keep doing the right thing. I didn't, I'm not condoning people's behavior, but I will leave room for God. God will take care of it. Have you learned that? Now, the Bible's very clear. God's all about discipline in the church, and we discipline in this church because that's what the Bible says. If you get out of line, your elders, the pastors, we love you so much, we'll discipline you. Because the church is to be a place that is about Jesus Christ, that we love one another, and granted, not everybody wears cool Velveeta jackets, and you may not appreciate that. So what you do, the Bible's about reconciliation. It's Matthew 18. If you've got problems with somebody, what do you do? You go to that person. You don't start gossiping. That's a sin. You go to that person, you reconcile. Now, if that doesn't work, God's got a backup plan. It's called step two. You take somebody else with you as a mediator, not choosing your side, as a mediator to work things out. If that still doesn't work, step three, you take it to the leadership. Take it to the elders. We'll hash it out, right? Because why? Because God's all about, it's a family. We're family, right? And, and we're all about unity and we're about reconciliation. But listen, half the time, we're not even following Matthew 18. Boy, I tell you what, the minute somebody does, boom, we pound. Ah, I'm going to discipline you. Well, you might be headed for a spanky-wanky because you're violating the scripture again, right? Romans 12, 19 to 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for what? For God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says who? The lawyer. No, I mean the Lord. That's what we think. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I could be up here for stories telling you I have done the Matthew 18 principle of people that have frankly done some rotten things to me, right? And still even them, I've learned it's not my job to discipline them. The reason why they're doing what they're doing is I don't care if they go to church service. It might be because they're not saved. And I pray, God, if that's the case, please save them. That explains a whole lot. Or they might be saved. But I've learned if they don't want to respond to Scripture, I hand them over to the Lord. God, you take care of that. I have seen God discipline people within five minutes, 15 minutes, five days, five weeks. And can I tell you something? He dishes out way better spankings than anything we could ever dish out. Oh, he knows where to get us. It's just like Dad. That knows how God, he's even better. So leave room. It, vengeance is mine. Said, he'll take care of it. Sooner or later, just let him do it and go have a nice day. And nobody's condoning nothing, but I, 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 I'm going to keep serving Jesus. I'm going to love him and do what he's called me to do. And I, I'll leave you. Because you know what? Revenge is eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And God will never bless that. Like this lady learned. Watch this. I got a dear friend named Benji and his wife Connie. They're in the ministry. <laughs> They're one of my own kind. Now you need to understand something. We in the ministry, we're normal, regular people. We, we're just regular folks. We're God called, but we're regular. We're sinners just like everybody else. And in our marriages, sometimes we have little tests and tough times. I know my sugar baby and I do. I don't like to call them arguments, maybe just discussions. 
There's a Hebrew word for that, bakar, bakar, which means a whole bunch of bull. <laughs> but, uh, but old Benjamin Khan that day, that had a little tiff, you know, it had a little tiff, you know, on that Friday. You know, she just didn't think he did enough and wouldn't help out enough, you know, how, you know. <laughs> and so they had a banquet that night at church, real formal thing. I mean, really going to be nice. Girls, ladies going to wear the, the formals and, uh, and the men were going to dress up. And so they had to go. And he's on staff. He had to be there, you know, in the ministry. You got to go. And uh, they're going to have to fake it the whole night. You know what I mean? They're just going to have to act like everything's fine. <laughs> well, sure enough, she's put on her form, and she's got one of these long zippers, you know, from the, the waist all the way to the neck. You know, one of the long jobber do's. She can't really get it all the way up. And she said, do you think you can help me with the zipper? Do you think you can do that much? Oh, baby. Old Ben says, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. He grabs that zero and goes on up there and gets up there and he thinks, well, I'll have a little fun. So he goes, and all of a sudden, it broke it. Oh, oh, baby. Oh, but he broke it. She said, you do not break my zipper. You know, they had to be there in about 15 minutes. He said, I'll, I'll fix it. So we got some pliers, couldn't fix it. They had to pin it. She had to put a shawl on in June. You know what I mean? And so she's, I'm so embarrassed. I've never been so embarrassed. She didn't have another form. She said, I have to wear this. I have to wear a shawl my grandmother made. He said, well, you look good, baby. She said, oh. They get in the car. They get there. As soon as they get there, you know, they see people, hey, 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 great. Doesn't she look great? Doesn't she look great? Oh, yeah, Connie, your shawl is really nice. She went, oh, my grandmother made it for me. And I knew it'd be cold tonight up here. It's always so cold, you know, and I just thought I'd wear it to stay warm. And they went, yeah, great. Wish I had one. <laughs> but anyhow, you know how. So they went through that whole evening and they got in the car to go home. She says, I have never been so humiliated and embarrassed my whole life. And he said, honey, everybody said you look great. They were lying. They were just being Christian. <laughs> they get home. They go to bed. They don't pass go. They don't collect $200. I mean, they, don't, you know, they just go to bed. She sleeps on her side. He sleeps on his side, as you, if you can understand what I'm trying to say. Next morning, she gets up ahead of him, gets all dressed, fixed up. She sort of wakes him. He said, hey, what are, you, what are you doing, Connie? She said, Bench, I'm going shopping. I'm going to buy me two formals. I'm going to charge him with a credit card. I don't care what Larry Burkett says, do you know? <laughs> Woo-hoo, baby, yeah. So all of a sudden... He said, go ahead, go ahead, be a bad steward if you want to be a bad steward, go ahead. So she hooks him. She comes back that Saturday afternoon about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. She pulls up, and there's old Benj underneath his car working, working his heart out, doing something, changing oil or something. She gets out and carries all these bags, you know. She goes up by him and stands there, and, and he, about this much of his body is showing, you know, the rest underneath the car. She just looks down there and sees his zipper. And she just started tempted, and she goes, oh. Puts stuff down and reaches down and goes, there, picks her stuff up, walks inside, puts her stuff on the kitchen table, goes back into the den, and there's Benji watching television. She loses it. She goes, ah! Ah! He 
said, Connie, I'm sorry about the dress. I'm sorry about it. She said, I don't care about the dress. Who is underneath our car? He said, oh, Bubba from next door. He changed all in his car. I said, while he was at it, he changed all in ours. She went, oh. He said, what's the matter? What's the matter? She told him what she did. He said, you did not. You did not. I went, I went out there. I didn't know. I thought it was you. I just grabbed it. And I said, she looked at him. She said, you go out there and you do something to fix it. She said, if you, if you don't, and you better not let him know it was me. If, if you let him know, if you, I mean, if you, if you let him know it was me, you will not be singing, what a fellowship, what a joy divine. You understand? He, 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 he understood her language there. And Benji goes out there. Bubba's still underneath the car. He said, hey, Bubba, come on out. I need to talk to you. Bubba does not move. He squats down there and looks underneath there. Bubba is out cold. He pulls Bubba out. Slaps him on the cheek and said, Bubba, Bubba, Bubba. Bubba goes, Bench, I was putting the last twist on your old filter. Some woman came and grabbed my zipper and started zipping on my zipper and said, I tried to look up to see who it was. Must have hit my head on the manifold. <laughs> Benji said, I've heard about her. She lives way down the street. She lives way down the street. Yeah. Wow, to think that really happened. And what's the lesson? Don't seek revenge. Leave room for the Lord. He'll take care of it one way or another. And the problem is, hey, listen, if you don't want to listen to that scripture and you do it anyway, guess what? You'll get a spanking too. Because God doesn't play favorites. If you're his child, if they sin against you, they're headed for a spanking. But if you sin, even in response to their sin, in a sinful matter, you're going to get one too. How many guys just woke up today and says, you know what? This is my goal for today. I'm going to see if I can break my record. Yesterday, I got 16 spankings from God. Today, I'm shooting for 25. <laughs> Hopefully, you don't. Have you learned that in your own spankings from God? Boy, does he know where to get you. Not because he's being mean, because he loves us. Because sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. And he cares enough for his children. I'll do whatever I got to do, including sin to hardship your way, to spank you back on track, to walk in holiness, which is the way to go. Amen? It's all because he allowed a hardship. That's good. One more, and we'll, we'll close it out. 20th good reason why is because, guess what? Sometimes it's to take you to heaven. Because aren't you glad that as a non-Christian, uh, you responded to just God's general provision, you know, made sure that you had food to eat and clothes to wear, and, you know, and, and you said, man, I just can't take it anymore. I got to get saved. Yeah, I said probably nobody never, but that's what the scripture says. We don't typically respond to God's kindness. So he's got to use some other means to get you to turn to Christ. That's what happened with me. Let's take a look at this. Romans chapter two, verse four through five. Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? I mean, don't you even care? I mean, can't you see how kind he has been giving you, what, time to turn from your sin? But no, you won't listen. So you are storing up terrible punishment, wrath for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. 
God wants all people to be saved. The scripture says he is not willing that any should perish. He wants people to come repentance. Why? Because he sees what's on the line. And you see, the whole time that you refuse to get saved, or, and, or up until we did get saved, the whole time, it isn't just, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to heaven. No, it's not just you're not on the highway to heaven. It's that you're on the highway to hell. Hell's not a good place. And that's why Jesus talked about it more than he ever did heaven. That's why he died on the cross is to rescue us from that place. But you see, you'd think that we would respond to God's kindness. He's patient with us. He's, he, every day you're still alive. He's just, okay, today will you receive my son as your savior? I don't want you to go to hell. Today would you do How about this? Oh, I do this. I'll take care of you. And, you know, and we still don't. And so sometimes, out of love, God will send a hardship your way to get you to turn to Christ. Is that a bad thing? No. Because he's rescuing you from hell. Now, now, and again, that's not a, a foreign concept. I, I've experienced this in my family repeatedly. Apparently, there were a bunch of stubborn people, like you said, because your stubbornness, right? My dad. My dad saw no need for a relationship with Christ. And so it literally took the death of my dad's sister, only sibling, before he would receive Christ as a Savior. I remember dad telling the story. He, said he was in just such grief, and just all of a sudden, he's, he's it. He's the last one. And it just hit him like a ton of bricks. And he was depressed, and he asked the pastor to come over in the, the community there he was in to pray for him. The pastor came over and specifically prayed that, God, would you touch uh, my dad with uh, uh, an awareness of your love for him. And dad said it was the wildest thing. As soon as that pastor finished praying, it was like a lightning bolt went from the top of his head all the way down through his feet. And he said, I've never felt love like that before in my life. He knew God was real. He prayed and received Christ as a Savior. So obviously what God was doing was allowing the death of my dad's sister, my aunt, to torment my father because that's... No. First of all, the Bible says, Job 14, 5, God has determined the length of our lives. We're not given a minute longer. We're born on time. We die on time. Some of us get more, some of us later. But listen, he used that as a tool so that now my dad not only got saved, but that means what? He's not on the highway to hell. He's on the highway to heaven. That's a good thing. My uncle, same thing. My uncle, uh, even more so, he didn't see his need for, for God. He wanted nothing to do with God, Right? Uh, and it took the death of his four-year-old daughter, his 21-year-old son, and his wife before his eyes were open. So now that's three. Oh, so, so obviously God's being mean. He's, no. Because when all was said and done, my uncle turned and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And he's not only not on the highway to heaven, he is on the highway to heaven, but, but not on, on the highway to hell. But I had the privilege last year of preaching his funeral. And I know right now he's in heaven. And I look forward to seeing him one day. Oh, but not just my dad, not just my uncle, me. A lot of you guys know my testimony. I didn't need God. I was too busy being my own God, right? In fact, I was convinced, Christians, you bunch of dumb idiots, you had to have a book tell them what to do. You were even brainwashed. I'm much more intellectually superior than that. And so it took years of me getting strung out on demonic drugs, demonic teachings, literal demonic attacks, probably demonic possession, and utter demonic terror. Before my eyes were open, I ran to my bedroom and dropped on my knees and cried out to God and asked Jesus to save me because God couldn't stand me. And he, no, I never would wish what I went through on anybody. It was horrible. But I was so stinking prideful and stubborn. If that's what it took to get me to bow a knee and receive Christ as my Savior, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for that hardship. Thank you for that trial. Because you know what? God knows more than we the reality of a place called hell. And he knows that if you don't get saved, 
you're going to end up like these guys who stubbornly refuse to receive Christ as their Savior. Here's their last words. Just a couple of them really happened. Thomas Paine, he said, I would give the worlds if I had them, if the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Stay with me. It's hell to be left alone. And he died. Voltaire, I'm abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Oh, Jesus Christ. And he died. David Hume, the atheist, died in utter despair with an awful scene crying out, I am in the flames! And he died. Karl Marx was on his deathbed, surrounded by candles burning to Lucifer. He screamed at his nurse who asked him if he had any last words. He said, go on, get out! Last words are for fools who haven't said enough, and he died. Uh, Nietzsche, remember him? He said, God is dead. Well, he found out the hard way. That's not true. He died insane, completely out of his mind. Sir Thomas Scott said, until now I thought there was no God or hell. Now I know there's both, and I am doomed! And he died. And Sir Francis Newport says, Do not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one. And that I am in his angry presence. You need not tell me there is no hell, for I feel my soul slipping into his fires. I know that I am lost forever. And he died. One preacher, I remember he said, he witnessed to this guy in Texas. And he he was doing oil drilling. And he he was telling him about Jesus. And the guy would just, he would mock and scoff, I don't need Jesus, I don't need Jesus, I don't need Jesus. And then one, the preacher got the phone call. This guy, he had a pile of pipe land on him, on his chest. And they'd rush him to the hospital, and he's getting ready to die. And so the preacher went there, i, I got to go share Christ with me. So he runs down to the hospital. I kid you on a true story. And he gets there, and he can hear him in the hallway. The guy is screaming. He's in the flames. Ah. And he says he gets around the corner, and he's, he's tore up the, the sheets, and the, he's just clawing at everything he can get his hands on. And he's screaming about the flames, the flames, and the flames. And he died. How many guys just say that's not a very fun way to go? And that if God was real and he really was a God of love, man, at least he'd do something. Well, he does. He not only made provision that you could escape that reality, but he's trying to encourage you sometimes with hard times. Like my family. Would you drop your stubbornness? I'm trying to rescue you from a horrible reality. I've done all the work. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Would you please receive it before it's too late? Don't finish like that. In fact, finish like this. Oftentimes for the Christian, shocker, we get the polar opposite exit. Here's some Christian last words. Dwight Moody, the famous Christian, he woke from sleep uh, sleep shortly before he died, and he said this, Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it's sweet. There's no valley here. God is calling me. I must go. His son actually said, no, 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 Father, you're dreaming. He said this. He said, I'm not dreaming. I've been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. Uh, The preacher and author of the hymn, Rock of Ages, he said, the consolations of God to such an unworthy wretch are so abundant that he leaves me nothing to pray for but a continuance of them. I already enjoy heaven in my soul. Lady Gnorke, another Christian, said, if this is dying, it is what? The pleasantest thing imaginable. That's how she went into eternity. John Pawson, a pastor, he said, I know I'm diving, but my deathbed is a bed of roses. I got no thorns planted on my dying pillow. In Christ, heaven has already begun. Adoniram Judson, famous missionary, he said, I go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. I feel so strong in Christ. John List said, can this be death? <laughs> Why, it is better than living. Tell them I die happy in Jesus. Martha McCracken said, how bright the room, how full the angels. A lady that I pastored in Northern California was dying the last day and a half. She contracted that flesh-eating disease. That's a rotten way to go, folks. But you know what she experienced for the last day and a half? Every time somebody walked in that hospital room, including the staff, all she could say was this, can't you hear the angels? Can't you hear the music? 
and then God took her to heaven. Happens all the time. If you're a Christian, that's how you get to go. Mary Francis said, oh, that I can tell what joy I possess. The Lord does shine with such power upon my soul. Sir David Brewster, he said, I will see Jesus. I shall see him as he is. I've had the light for many years. Oh, how bright it is. I feel so safe and satisfied. A Muslim woman whose child had died at 16 years old, she asked the Christian missionary, what would you do to our daughter? And the missionary said, we didn't do anything to your daughter. She said, oh, yeah, you did. She died smiling. Our people don't die like that. She had got saved from the missionary's work just shortly before she died. And then a Chinese communist, through whom many Christians were executed, said to a pastor, I've seen many of you die. You Christians die in a different way. What's your secret? I'll tell you the secret. We simply have taken God at his word. We responded to his ultimate kindness that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And if we would trust in his work on the cross, not our own, that will be sufficient payment for all of our sins. And he won't just forgive us, and cleanse us of everything we've ever done, past, present, future, even the stuff we don't even know about or remember. And then he'll not just rescue us from hell, he'll give us heaven on top. That's it. That's the secret. That's all it is. And so if it takes hard times to get us to drop the stubbornness and receive this goodness from God that will last forever, isn't it worth it? No wonder, James says, consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kind. Amen? Lord willing, if the rapture hasn't happened, our next study, verse 4. <laughs> well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. 
The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, Even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that's the same thing. Uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. That God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty, And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy... The person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. 
Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.